New South Wales Cycling.com Local Cycling News. The Ram Race Across America is an ultra-distance road cycling race which started in 1982. One of the longest annual endurance events in the world, the event quickly established an international profile in the 1980s, being covered by America's wide world of sport. This year was the 40th anniversary of the event, and it was special on a number of counts, with an Australian, Alan Jefferson, winning. It was the third time Australia has won the international event. The other two times were by the amazing Jerry Tatari in the 1990s. In Australia, Tatari at one time held the record for the fastest Australian transcontinental ride and also the 24-hour mountain bike record, while internationally he set a world record in 1991 in the 24-hour International Human Powered Speed Championships before taking his two wins in the race across America. Now, we didn't get to talk too much about the racing in this podcast, but the 2022 Race Across America featured a stunning ride by Swiss female superstar endurance cyclist Nicole Rice, who led the race for the majority of the way before breaking her pubic bone in the closing stages of the 5,000-kilometre event. Jefferson and runner-up Spotzer Bozak passing her to take the win. Unable to even walk, Nicole Rice had to be carried to and from her bike but still rode to the finish for third overall. The win by Jefferson renewed interest in the event here in Australia so it was wonderful to catch up with Bathurst Cycle Club member Gary Hamer who was part of Jefferson's winning team support crew. We started by asking Gary about the race. So it's called the Race Across America. It starts in Oceanside in California, which is down near San Diego, and it finishes in Annapolis in Maryland, which is in between Washington and Baltimore, basically. And it's 3,086 miles, I think, in round figures, 5,000 kilometres. Now, you're looking after an Australian. There was only two Australians in it, from what I could see. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're a bit of an Australian rep team, aren't you, really? Well, kind of. So <clears throat> they do have to qualify, but only through performance. It's not a qualification. So you've got to prove to the organisers that you're not going to go out there and fall off and do yourself irreparable damage, basically. But, yeah, it is part of being... Australian overseas, I guess. So this is not the first time you've gone over? Uh, This is the third time I've done it. The first time was 2015 with a four-women team called the Velaroos that won that year and set the women's record. I did it in 2019 with a fellow called Al Al Bradley that was a solo attempt, and he came second in his age group. And then this time with Al Jefferson, who won overall, won the race. That's pretty impressive. Look, they, they call it the toughest bike race in the world and, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find something that meets, that, that's as difficult as it. It lacks the profile that it once had simply because it is so tough and nearly a little bit dangerous as well. Look, the, there's probably, and it differs year to year, but you could say that only 50 to 60% of participants finish it each year. This year, there was one guy that was very, very lucky not to get seriously injured when a car hit his follow car from the rear. A couple of other ones had some pretty serious injuries as well. It is dangerous to spend 20 hours a day on a bike for 10 days. 
and to race across America is a great tradition, really. Yeah, there's unofficial stories of people in the Pioneer Trails, well, after the Pioneer Trails, but very early on in American history, using bicycles to get from one side to the other or to the west. The race across America itself, I think, started in 82. Um, so it's been going 40 years this year. Yeah, so it's been it's a fair while. Is this the first time an Australian won? No, he's the third Australian to have won. Yeah. Um, he's Kiwi-born, so if he had a still been a Kiwi, he would have been the first Kiwi to win it. <laughs> um, no, but he's the third Australian to have won it. Another Australian's won it three times. It looked that he judged himself a little bit and then come through and made his big move. So Al attempted the race in 2019 and was pulled out for health reasons um, about three, three and a half days in, um, had a lung infection that picked up either pre the race or early in the race in the desert that amplified in altitude once they got to the Rockies. So he had that experience to know that he really had to pace himself through the desert and through the Rockies to get all the way to the end. I would, at a guess, I would say 75% of the withdrawals in RAM happen in those first three days. And that happened with the other Australian, didn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. the desert is just so tough. Like you're talking daytime temperatures close to 50 degrees C in the desert. Um, so road temperatures, you know, 10 degrees on top of that. And that for two and a half days, like it's just brutal. And then you hit Colorado and you've got, you climbed a 12,000 feet above sea level. Crazy. Now, your involvement, you'd have to know what to say at certain times. I've been really lucky that both the guys that I've done the solos with have both had fantastic personalities. They've both been really easygoing. Um, a lot of fun, and they've stayed positive the whole way through. Um, you hear other horror stories of other crews that, you know, they're getting yelled at or my guys have never wanted to quit. They've yeah. never wanted out. They've just kept going and going, and they've been a pleasure to be with. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I think we were about 24, 36 hours in, and Al said to everybody, I don't want to know anything about the race. I don't want to know my position, anybody else's position. So we had to be really careful with that. We, um, somebody slipped up and said, oh, yeah, so-and-so is only five miles up the road, thinking that they would give him the carrot to yeah. get him going for a bit. And he did react and said, I told you I didn't want to know anything about the race um, until about the eighth day. And... At that stage, we'd kind of been leapfrogging with Svata Bosak, the Czech guy, and we'd seen a bit of the other guys. But it happened that Al just sort of poked in front of them and was behind the Swiss, and I've forgotten the name. Um, and he's like, how far behind am I in the race? And we're like, what are you talking about, mate? And he's like, well, I haven't seen anybody for 24 hours. Like, you know, am I going to make the cutoff point? And we're like, you told us we, you didn't want to, didn't want to know. <laughs> he said, no, no, you, you know, let, let me have it. How far behind am I? And we went, mate, you're coming second and the only person in front of you is 30 miles in front. Mm-hmm. 
and um, that kind of gave him a, a bit of a pep up. But until then, he had no idea where he was. He was actually worried that he was that far out the back, yeah. that he wasn't going to make the cutoff. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong mentally in that race. They're a different breed, aren't they, really? Oh, it's crazy. And when you think about it, for that length of time, so you do the um, the Giro, they they do the length of that in about six days. Yeah, yeah. They do the distance of the Tour de France by about day seven. Mm. To do that, and there was, I think, less than three hours between first and second at the end of the race. Like you look at Tour de France standings now, between the top 30 in the GC, there's hours between them. And this is over a much greater distance. So, Just... To finish up, just on yourself, you wouldn't be getting much sleep, but it'd be knock you around, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was looking at some videos yesterday and just going, wow, you look tired. I had a look at my Garmin app at the end of it and it didn't register any sleep for the first three days. And then day three and four, it listed about four hours sleep both days. No sleep days five and six. And then five or six hours on days six and seven. Like there was naps in there, but they weren't enough to register through my watch to the app as a sleep. So by day seven or eight, yeah, the, we were wrecked. The crew was just running on fumes. So how Al was running, I don't know. <laughs> and what are you doing for food or anything like that? So the crew largely self-fends, yeah. but... The race is set up with 52 time stations across the state and probably half of them are at a Walmart or a a small shopping centre. So there's somewhere to eat and drink there, somewhere to go to the bathroom and stuff. And then uh, the other couple of percent are probably in fuel stations or something. So we did largely self-fend. A lot lot of us were getting pre-prepared salads and or. Um, microwave meals and heating them up in the RV. Mm. She can only do so much take out McDonald's and that sort of crap. <laughs> so um, on the West Coast, there's a chain of basically pre-prepared health food supermarket. So you go in there and get all sorts of wraps and salads and that mm. sort of stuff. And then as you went, that's kind of what we lived on. Mm, wow. And how many in a crew? So we had 10. Yeah. We had a doctor. Um, a nurse, chiropractor, massage therapist that also did acupuncture and the chiro also did acupuncture. Um, me, whose main job was to drive the RV. Another person whose main job was to keep me awake, navigate for me and keep me going. And then a bike mechanic and uh, two other crew. So we had three vehicles. We had an RV direct follow vehicle and a support vehicle. Um, So you've got six people taken up with those vehicles all the time and four people resting. Who's actually making sure he's going the right way and things like that? So the route you can get a GPX file. So he loaded, manually loaded the turns for the first 50 stages into his Garmin. So he had his navigation. That's backed up by the follow car. They have a car that's got to sit 30 feet, so yeah. ten, no more than 10 metres behind the rider yeah. between the hours of 7pm and 7am and all the way through Nevada and Utah, it has to be right on their tail. Yeah. 
because yeah. they're quite dangerous states. That person uh, have to have a fair bit of experience, then I guess, mm. and they're keeping an eye out and yeah. So and, and they've got the rider. Yeah, and they've got intercom to the rider for his turns and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Are you protecting that car in the in your car? No, so they're very strict on trying to avoid blocking traffic and annoying yeah. drivers. Yeah. So yes, that car's protecting the rider, yeah. but we're not allowed to convoy behind them. We've right got to leapfrog them and try and free the flow of traffic up as much as possible. Did you get lost? No. No, right no. across America? No. I did in 2019. That was interesting. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning and I got lost in the back blocks of St. Louis mm. um, trying to find my way onto the, one of the crossings of the Missouri River and um, pulled up and I was trying, had Google Maps out and trying to figure out where I was and I was sure I heard a tap on the side of the van and had a couple of people asleep and I was the only one awake. Mm. So I screamed out to one of the blokes, get down here, I'm lost. And I just took off. I didn't know where I was going. Wow. And um, he come down, we figured out where we were and got back on the route. Because that, that's not good. <laughs> getting lost somewhere in a big city in America when you don't know where you are at 3 o'clock in the morning is a little frightening. Did riders sort of get into trouble? I didn't hear of any navigation problems in sort of the top three teams. And we were nearly done and out of Annapolis before a lot of the other solos came in. Um, we did, often it's the teams that have the navigational issues because yeah. they're going so they're going quick. quick. Yeah. Um, and the rule is you can't backtrack on the course. Yeah. If you take a wrong turn, you've basically got to turn your way around and find a back way ah. back to where you turned. You can't just do a Yui and go back ah. to start again. So if you're in the middle of Kansas, that could be 50, 60 miles until you can find really? the next back road to get around, to get back to where you're stuffed up. Jeez, that's crazy. So that'll blow up a fair bit of time off your time pretty quick. <laughs> well, that's great. Well done. And congratulations. Thanks to Dried Arrangement for the music in this story. I was gonna take a